0: This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Steward Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. There we go. So this morning we are in Chapter 28 of your Sunday School Quarterly greatest joke ever, 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 ever. It's not a joke, <laughs> not a joke right? Greatest Facebook post ever. I'll, I'll edit it that way. All right, we're looking at the resurrection and ascension this morning, uh, but before we get there, we've got a scripture memory passage review, uh, Romans 3, 23, 24, 25, and or 26. i said any two, right? Any of the four. Oh, any, of the, any, any of the combination of the four. Yeah, any, any one of the four or any combination or any three or any four. However many you say is how many you get. So Romans 3, 23, 24, 25, and or 26. I was going to say, I went and like loaded up because of Romans three twenty three. So, like, really? Really? Okay. All right. I got three. Anybody else? going once going twice come on man yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: alright cool Miss Amy V how many are you doing three okay
2: for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God yes being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus that's right to whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to show his righteousness because of the passing over of sin done a four-time in the forbearance
0: of God. Nice. My she got
2: so
0: propitiation and forbearance in there. That is awesome. All right, Matt, what you got?
2: It's
0: 323. 323. For all have sinned and fallen
2: short of the glory of God. Yes, we have. And who fixed it? Jesus. Yes, that's right. Good. I'm completely impressed by him. I, could, I know, right? I could not that do.
0: third one is a tough one because it's it goes, fourth, it goes. It is back and forth. It is as Paul as Paul gets with clauses and sub and commas, and it's times. like okay. Yeah, too many commas. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. So I'm just going to do one and two.
2: Okay. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes. And are justified
0: freely by His grace yes. through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That's right. Awesome. Thank you much. Mm-hmm. Dave? Uh, 23
1: and 24. Okay. Uh, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Yes. That's King James 1. So.
0: Yep, yep. I can't uh, ever do it any other way either, I know, right? Uh,
1: being justified freely uh, through, um, by His grace, yep. through uh, the redemption uh, with, uh, which is in Christ Jesus.
0: There's a phrase left out. Uh being...
1: Uh, I'm sorry.
0: uh, No, you got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. I I messed you up. Yes. I was thinking 25. Good job. I'm
1: sorry. (laughs) And in Christ Jesus, nothing but net.
0: Nothing but net. Oh, that's pretty good. (laughs) 323. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) He's like, she can't see that far, man. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. You got it? Three twenty-three. Three twenty-three. Yeah. But I'm gonna say it like we teach
2: it to the cubbies.
0: Okay. How do we teach They're it to the cubbies?
2: Best. They have an A here and a C here. Okay. And so we go. A is for all have sinned
0: and come short of the glory of God. I like that. That was awesome. With motions. With motions. I don't know. We've done like one. It sits in the rain. Ah. Okay. Come on up. Come on up. Oh. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. 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 Awesome. Thank you very much. So. So last week was uh atonement, so it's the at moment, right? It's Jesus bringing us to God, the Father, so that we can have relationship there so so once that is once that is complete, then the next step in I feel like I'm ringing, Dave the next step in the timeline of redemption is. We, we bury Jesus because Jesus has become the propitiation that receiving of anger and wrath of God to satisfy God's wrath, the relationship is restored. Jesus is dead at this point in the grave. What's the next thing that happens? Resurrection. resurrection. Yes, absolutely. It's okay to study the resurrection in November. Imagine this. Yes, it is all right. And then what happens right after the resurrection? A few days after the resurrection... The ascension, right, which is Jesus going up into heaven uh, to be there. So let's talk about the resurrection first. I think the resurrection is on the front side of your handout, and the ascension is on the back side of your handout. So Grudem takes uh, quite a bit of time to talk through um, the New Testament evidence for the resurrection. There's a lot of it, right? This is my bad joke for the day. Uh, basically every single one of the Gospels, the last chapter or two of those Gospels, is the Resurrection. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. We saw Jesus. Acts is the story of the Apostles' proclamation of the Resurrection. The epistles depend on, I'm quoting Grudem here, depend on the assumption that Jesus is a living, reigning Savior. And then Revelation repeatedly shows the risen Christ reigning in Heaven. So your first blank is the entire New Testament bears witness to the resurrection of Christ the entire New Testament I mean if you if you were to start in Matthew 1 and read through Revelation 22 and not pick up that Jesus rose from the dead I can't imagine how much of the New Testament you would have to cut out to miss that I mean this is just a theme over and over and over and over again so the, the question is really not about, is there evidence for it? The question is, what's the nature of it? So what, what did that look like? So a couple things about the nature of Christ's resurrection. So the first one here is, it was a physical res- resurrection in a physical body. It was a physical body associated with Jesus when He got up. So let's look at John 20 and 21. Um, John 20 and 21, just flip over there. I just want to scroll through a couple verses here. All right, so verse 1, we've got the the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So the tomb is where they put Jesus when He died. Uh, Then she ran. I love it. The, The amount of running that takes place in the last chapter or two of each one of the Gospels is awesome because... Something was different. Everything had changed. I can't talk about it without standing on my toes. So, Something was different at this point. right? So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have lain him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. Run back, right? They're running. And the other disciple outran Peter, which I've always kind of thought was like, Na-na-na-na-na. I'm faster than Peter, but... okay. And he came to the tomb first, and this is John. He, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. Because Peter never met an area he was not scared to walk into. Right. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. And to this day, to this day... It is in proper etiquette at the table. If you are coming back, you fold the napkin. And this is why you, you fold the napkin. Because Jesus is coming back and he folded the napkin before he left. Verse 9. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then they, the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped, stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white. Sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. Jesus. And what was he doing? He was standing. You need a body to stand. Okay? He was standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? He's always asking this question, by the way. She's supposing him to be the gardener, which I think is a little bit funny because he's the second Adam, and Adam's job in the garden was to garden, right? So Adam was the first gardener, Jesus is the second gardener, and she confuses him for the second gardener, which theologically is actually pretty good, right? So supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have lain him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. He just says her name. And she turned to him, Rabboni, which is a teacher. And he said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. So we're before the ascension. But go to my brethren and say to them. Now, I still can't get over this. What did the disciples do at the cross? They scattered. They ran away. Has he seen them yet? No. And what does he call them? My brethren. Go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Who's he quoting there? Anybody know? Thomas. Remember Thomas' declaration, you're my Lord and my God. Verse 18, and Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that He had spoken these... So what do you need to speak? A mouth. You need a mouth, right? What's a mouth part of? A body. A body, yeah. It's part of a head, right? Yeah. And the head's part of a body. And we go on and on and we see all these other things that the body of Jesus did. And if you look down to verse 27, He says to Thomas here, Reach your finger here and look at my hands His body had hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. His body had a side. In verse 28, And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Thomas heard what Mary told him and repeated it back. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, that's us, and yet have believed. And Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life by His name. Go to the next chapter, verse 21. uh, Chapter 21, verse 1. And after these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, He showed Himself. And he, He lists these folks that are coming here. And if you skip down to verse 9... And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals laid there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. In verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. So who cooked? Jesus cooked them breakfast. Right? So they wanted to go back. Think about this for just a second. This has nothing really to do with the... Well, I guess it does, because this is stuff he did after the, between the crucifixion and the ascension. But they wanted to go back to fishing... So you know what he wanted him to do? He wanted to become face to face with the thing that they were replacing him with. So he literally serves it to them. I think this would have resonated very, very, very clearly with them. Right? Because I ran away from what you told us to do to go back to this thing that I was comfortable with, to go back to this thing that we were doing before we met you, and now you're serving it up to us. But what do you need if you if you want to serve? Hands. You need hands. Yes, that's right. A body. It was a physical body. So when you read and hear people talk about he didn't he didn't resurrect physically, really? Because the Bible sure thinks he does. So Luke twenty four thirty nine. Who's got that one? Luke twenty four thirty nine. Josh, you got it. See my
2: hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a
0: spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So, so Jesus is trying to communicate. you got to think that he knew that somebody was going to deny the physical resurrection one day, right? So, so maybe the Holy Spirit and Jesus knew this and the Father knew this and that we put this in the Bible to give us a, a hook to hang our hat on that says Jesus' resurrection was a physical body, which is good. And this is important for us. This is actually really important for us. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 53. Who's got that? One of the things Grudem brings up, which I didn't really think about before, but I'll read you this quote while you're looking there. These examples indicate that there was a considerable degree of continuity between the physical appearance of Jesus before his death and after his resurrection. There was some level of recognition here. Right? It took them a second sometimes, and sometimes it was instant, but there was some level of recognition. So, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty three, You got it? Yep. Awesome. Uh,
1: for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality.
0: Must put on immortality. We're talking about the resurrection here. We're talking about a new body that's not going to suffer, get weak, or die, or these different things. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty two to 44. Scroll up a little bit, or look up a little bit. Get 42 to 44.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. sorry. Uh, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown uh, in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Uh, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is uh, sown in weakness. It is raised in power.
0: How awesome is that, right? Because we, we start with the negative, and we end with something that is drastically better. The future is always better, always better for the believer. Now, the the interesting thing, and you you may know this, you may not, is that Jesus is not the first person to be raised from the dead in the Bible. Right, There were several other people that were raised from the dead. Um, In the Old Testament, there was uh, Elisha raised uh, Zarephath widow's son, the Shunammite woman's son, um, or Elijah raised the Zarephath widow's son, and Elisha raised the Shunammite woman's son. And then he died. Mm-hmm. And and Elisha asked for what? When Elijah died? He asked for his mantle. He asked for his mantle and he asked for twice as much of the ministry as Elijah had. So Elisha dies and he only resurrects one person. And if you look at the if you look at what they did, you go, Well, that he didn't he didn't get like double. God keeps His promises. And He may not keep His promise to you while your body is still working here on the earth. Because there's a portion of Scripture later on in 2 Kings 13, 21, where they threw a dead guy in a hole where Elisha's bones were, and the guy jumps up and starts walking again. (laughs) Because God will keep His promise. (laughs) It's like, wow. So I can imagine Elisha watching from heaven going, Like, now you're keeping it? (laughs) I mean, how cool is that, right? How cool is that? God will keep His promise. And then the New Testament, Jesus is raising all kinds of people. The widow's son at Nain in Luke 7, uh, Jairus' daughter. This is mentioned three times in the Gospel. He raised Lazarus. Uh, That funky passage that I will never forget your expression to, uh, Josh, when we were going through uh, Matthew 27 and the the bodies at the crucifixion, right? When Jesus died, there were all these bodies of the saints that started walking around in Jerusalem because it wasn't a weird enough day as it was with an earthquake and the sky turning black. (laughs) Earthquake, sky turns black, Son of God dies, dead folks start walking around. There was a reason in the passage that we're going to talk about here in just a minute that everybody in Jerusalem was talking about Jesus because nobody had ever died this way before. Oh, and nobody ever came back this way before either. It's good stuff. And then uh, uh, Paul, so Peter raised Tabitha, right? That's Dorcas. And Paul raised who? Somebody fell asleep while he was preaching. Eutychus. Eutychus. It sounds like an infection, right? You've got Eutychus. I'm sorry. There's a cream for that. And there's hope. It's okay. Um, Eutychus falls out of a third-story window, falls down dead. Paul's not done preaching. He goes down, he he, he raises him back to life, and he goes back to preaching. It's like, don't interrupt the preacher. Um, And then we we think Paul may actually himself have died as well in Acts 14 because he he got stoned, and everybody around him thought he was dead. So there were several other people in the Bible that died and were brought back to life. But Jesus is different. What's different about Jesus' resurrection? He never died again. See, all those other people, they had to die again, which, mm-hmm. it's all I, I don't want this to sound like I'm saying God is mean or unjust in any way, shape, or form, but he had to die twice, yeah. right? I mean, that, okay. But I, I got to think they know, I got to think they knew that what was on the other side of that so maybe they weren't as scared of it that second time because I know what's coming this time. So maybe it wasn't as bad. I'm not sure. But Jesus' was completely different. All right. So a couple of points here about the resurrection. Here's your next blank. The physical resurrection of Jesus, this Grudem quote, and his eternal possession of a physical resurrection body give clear affirmation of the goodness of the material, as your blank, material creation that God originally made. See, we have, this, we have this thought sometimes and we think that anything that is physical is substandard or not as good as that is is spiritual, right? We even If you, if you wh- physically watch me while I talk about this. Watch me, watch me. Eyes up here. Thanks. The physical, even when I described it right then, I realized what I was doing. The physical is not as good as the spiritual. You see what we do sometimes? We put the spiritual up high and the physical is low at times. And the reality is... In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 31, God saw everything that He had made after He made man, and it was what? No, 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 no. After He made man. It was very good. Absolutely. It was good for the first few days, and it got very good after He made man and woman. Very good. There's nothing wrong with the material. So Revelation 21 talks about the new uh, heaven and the new earth, and that we're going to live in a physical material universe. It'll just be a better one, which is nice. So so don't discount the physical that this is somehow not as good of an experience. God can make a physical that is very, very good. So there's a question next, uh, number three there. Who resurrected Christ from the dead? Who res- And the question I've asked is, is it Himself or the Father? So let's look at John 10, 17, and 18. Look at a couple of verses here. So I'll give you two options. I'll give you Jesus Christ. He resurrected Himself. Or I'll give you God the Father. The Father resurrected Jesus. So John 10, 17, and 18. What do we got?
2: Loves me because I lay down my
1: life that I may take it again.
2: No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father.
0: Who's that sound like? Sound like Jesus, right? Okay. So it sounds like Jesus says, I've got the power to do that. What's the next passage It's highlighted? Romans six, Romans 6. 4. What does Romans 6, 4 say?
2: Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism and to death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should
0: walk in the newness. What? Raised from the dead by the what? Father. By the Father. By the glory of the Father. Father. It's like even more mysterious, right? So in John, he says it's Jesus. Jesus says it's him. In Romans, Paul says it's the Father. So who raised Jesus from the dead? Yes. Yes. Yes is the blank. Yes, that's exactly right. How many gods do we have? One. There is one God. Three persons, one God. God raised God from the dead for the glory of God and the fame of God's great name. I sound like John Piper, don't I? God. And it was good. It was very good. Right? All right. Y'all weren't nearly as excited about that as I was, but this is really exciting stuff for me. All right, so the doctrinal significance of the resurrection: uh, A, there, group. Christ's resurrection ensures our regeneration. Our regeneration. If you know how to spell the word generation, put re in front of it. Our regeneration. So, First Peter one three.
2: God write, praise Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation.
0: You see the word because? It connects the first part with the last part. So can you read the verse again for me?
2: All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again.
0: There's the born again, so Paul's going to connect it. I'm sorry, what what book are we in? First
1: Peter.
0: Peter. Peter's going to connect it. Excuse me. There we go. (laughs) Paul didn't write first Peter. There we go.
1: Great.
2: Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we
0: live with great expectation. Absolutely. So there's a there's a connection between the new birth, the regeneration, and the resurrection. So it it ensures our these things are connected. We I, I fear sometimes that the, the way in which I teach makes us think that we can compartmentalize the portions of theology and say that the the atonement is this box. And the regeneration is this box, and there's faith. It's over here, and this is over here, and all these different little components. When in reality, they are deeply connected and one story. Does this make sense? You guys with me on this? Yeah. Jay, you with me? Yeah. Would you tell me you're not? If you're not. Okay. Good. All right. So I've got a couple of verses listed here, but I'm running out of time. So we're going to go down to B. Christ's resurrection ensures our justification. So Acts 1.8, can anybody quote Acts 1.8? But you shall receive power, right? And, and then what? And after that, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, right? Right? These things are connected. These things are connected. So, so B here is Christ's resurrection ensures our justification, ensures our justification. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. If you start in verse 12, uh, Paul's talking about the the risen Christ, our hope. Um, Starting in verse 20, he talks about how Uh, He has destroyed the enemy. Look at verse 20 there. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the... What's the next word? First First fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So let's think of... I want you to get real tactical, real physical for just a second. First fruits. So first fruits means the first fruits that come off a tree. All right? You with me? All right. So if you've got a plant or a tree in your yard, and you have no idea what it is, Colleen. You with me? You got a plant, you you, you really have no idea what it is. And one day, you see a fully ripe apple. Okay? Does that give you a hint of what kind of tree it is? What kind of tree is it? An apple. (laughs) It's an apple tree, right? Absolutely. All right, so if the first piece of fruit off the tree was an apple, what do you think the next piece of fruit off the tree is gonna be? It's going to be an apple, right? Okay. So let's. I want you to take that physical metaphor and let's look at the verse again. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. He has risen from the dead and He is the first fruit. The fruit that comes next is going to look like the first one. Yes. Yes. That whole concept of sanctification where God is turning us to make us look more and more like Jesus Christ, it doesn't end with our death. It continues after our death. Because we will look like the risen Christ. We will have a physical body. We will have a spiritual component. But we will look like the risen Christ. Does this make sense? Do you like that as far as an example with the first fruits? I don't know that i would ever heard anybody explain that before. I like that. And it was the most simple thing that I'd read and read them in a very long time. And I'm glad he made it simple because some of his stuff is not simple at all. All right. So the C there is Christ's resurrection ensures that we will receive perfect resurrection bodies as well. Perfect resurrection bodies as well. All right. So a couple significance, uh the ethical significance of the resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 15, 58 does anybody know this one? You're still in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Yeah. What's verse 58 say?
2: Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in
0: the Lord. It's not in vain. So he sets up all this discussion about the resurrection, and he says your labor is not in vain because there is a resurrection. Right? There is a time at which this will be made right. So the blankets continue steadfast. Can't do better in the Bible, right? Continue steadfast. It's good stuff. Colossians 3 1 through 4. Since
2: you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, for Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory.
0: Absolutely. Where are we to look? Toward heaven, right? There's a reality there. Fix our eyes on that. And then Romans 6, um, 11 through 13.
1: To be dead indeed in to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its, lust, in its lusts.
0: Yeah, so what do you think the blank is? Stop sinning. Stop sinning, stop. Stop sinning. Yeah. yeah. So continue steadfast in the work, look forward, stop sinning. That's the resurrection. Alright, so the ascension, we're gonna move real quick to the ascension. Uh, John 14:2 and 3. Jesus said he was going to heaven. You guys remember this? For I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. May be also. Yes, this is good news for us. So Jesus said he was going to heaven. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, uh, verses 55 and 56, this is where the, uh, the Stephen is being stoned, like physically stoned. They're throwing rocks at him. He is dying. As he dies, he looks up into heaven and he sees what? He sees Jesus. so Stephen saw Jesus in heaven. All right, number three, Christ was seated at God's right hand. This is Christ's session. It's a new term for me. I don't remember ever learning this term before. But one specific aspect of Christ's ascension into heaven and receiving of honor was the fact that he sat down at the right hand of God. This is sometimes called his session at God's right hand. Here's your blank. This welcoming into the presence of God and sitting at God's right hand is a dramatic indication of the completion of Christ's work of redemption. Because what do you do when you finish work? You go sit down. That's right. So you know what he did? He went to heaven and he sat down. (laughs) But he didn't just sit anywhere. Because you don't put the king of kings just anywhere. Where do you put the king? (laughs) At the right hand of the Father. Because that, it's kind of neat, too, because nobody had ever sat there before. And I wonder how long the chair had been there. <laughs> the yeah. <laughs> i put that on my list of unanswered questions that I want to ask one day. Right? That chair had one purpose, and that was to demonstrate the completed work of Christ. And where Christ rightly with his his right position according to the father at the right hand. There it was. Yes ma'am? You, I,
2: I think about
0: this as a throne. Yes. Yeah, throne's probably a much better word, right? I can't imagine that it's just like one of what y'all are sitting in. <laughs> like, pull it up, all right, here you go. I I doubt that seriously. Yeah. Um I don't like trying to describe things in heaven because there's a verse in Revelation that says I can't even understand it. So Throne. Awesome. Cool, right? Fantastic stuff. He's completed work. Acts two thirty-three. Slip over there. I want you to see this. So what was the visual that I gave you last week for the wrath of God on Jesus Christ? The pouring out. You remember this? The pouring out. There's a lot of pouring that is done. Theologically in the Bible, and I, I, have, I have officially put this on my list of things I want to go study as a theme all the way through the Scripture. The pourings that occur in Scripture, Acts two thirty three. What happens here? Exalted
2: to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured
0: out what you now see and hear. Has who, poured out? Who poured out the Holy Spirit? So Jesus, right. So get this. So God pours His wrath on Christ to complete the atonement. Our salvation is secured. Jesus accepts that wrath, is the perfect sacrifice, goes and sits at the right hand of the Father, and pours out the Holy Spirit on us. What a substitution because instead of receiving the pouring out of the wrath of the father i get god <laughs> I, I don't even i don't know where to go from there right i mean the wrath of god is replaced with the holy spirit for the christian praise your name lord that's it's just beautiful. I had not seen that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit worked this way. So the question might become, so what's Jesus doing in heaven? Just sitting? Interceding. He's interceding. Yeah, there's several different things that he's doing. Um, Revelation 2.1 talks about he's walking around amongst the seven golden lampstands. You're like, well, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm betting not just anybody gets to walk there. <laughs> right um, he's also seen standing in Acts seven fifty six. so he was seated when Stephen saw him but he stood up when Stephen died which <sighs> so if I walk into the room and the queen of England is in the room guess who's not standing up the queen ain't standing up for me no 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 that ain't gonna happen if she walks into the room and I'm sitting down, guess what I'm expected to do? I'm expected to stand up. That's right. This, this blows my mind. All right, so the doctrinal significance for our lives. Christ going up into heaven, here's your next blank, foreshadows our future ascension into heaven with Him. With Him. Let's go to Ephesians 2.6. I was really optimistic about the number of verses we could read today, wasn't I? How many of y'all looked at the handout and went, he ain't getting through all that? (laughs) Be honest. When you saw it, yeah, Julie, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, last Sunday night, uh, I went to Saudi Daisy and I spoke, and I taught our Sunday school lesson from last Sunday morning and was able to do a more expanded version of it. I'm using the same handout and teacher notes for tonight at Saudi Daisy. I'm doing the same thing tonight at Saudi Daisy. So if you want to hear about 20 to 30% more than this morning, I know you guys want to hear this again, right? It's good stuff. Then you can come to Saudi Daisy tonight at 5, and you can hear the more expanded version, and we can hear the verses that are highlighted that we didn't get to. So Ephesians 2.6. I should have given you enough time to get to Ephesians 2.6. Who's got it?
2: And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly place in Jesus Christ.
0: Well, uh, time out now. Time out now. Why would we be sitting down in heaven? We're done, right? The, the work, it was finished by my Savior. So when he sat down, I get to rest as well. He not only fulfilled the work that I couldn't do, he fulfills the rest that I need. He is the, he is the demonstration, he is the first fruit of the resurrection, of the ascension, of the safety, the security, the love, the hope and the rest that we will have in heaven as well. It's good stuff. So, here's Grudem's quote. We are able to share now in part in Christ's authority over the universe, and we will share later share in it more fully. More fully. Amen? Amen? I love this stuff. I love this stuff. It is a deep, deep, deep book, and when you think you've gotten to the bottom, just don't put the shovel down. (laughs) Keep digging, all right? So that's the resurrection, the ascension, and that's a a flyby of an introduction to it, so make sure you bring your quarterly next week, and uh, we'll be in good shape. So the Middle of Your Tables is a weekly update. Lean in, uh, pray, engage, write your prayer requests down. Pray for one another, please. Find out how we can help. And then uh, pray and you're dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School today. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit down.